We're learning new information in the federal case over former uh, President Donald Trump's handling of classified documents. A Mar-a-Lago IT worker has struck a cooperation agreement with the special counsel's office and agreed to testify. And in exchange, he will not be prosecuted. CNN's Sarah Murray has been following every step of this case. Uh, Sarah, people are fascinated by the idea of flipping witnesses. What does this actually mean for this case and for Jack Smith, the special prosecutor? Well, this is interesting because we have seen other employees for the former president charged alongside him, Walt Nada, Carlos de Oliveira. They've been using attorneys who are paid for by the Trump PAC, and we've seen them stay in the fold. That is not what's happening for UCL Tavares. He now has gotten another attorney. He is now cooperating with prosecutors. Basically, he was threatened with the potential charges and agreed to change his tune. Again, this is someone who was talking to other employees about the surveillance footage at Mar. Lago. Prosecutors say that there was an effort to try to destroy that footage. And I want to go back to some of the indictment that really lays out the conversations. And here, Yusil Tavares is referred to as Trump employee number four. He's in a conversation with Carlos Dolivera, the property manager. It says, Dolivera told Trump employee four that the boss, presumably Trump, wanted the server deleted. Trump employee four responded that he would not know how to do that and that he did not believe he would have the rights to do that. Trump employee Employee four told Dolivera that Dolivera would have to reach out to another employee who is a supervisor of security for Trump's business organization. Dolivera then insisted to Trump employee four that the boss wanted the server deleted and asked, what are we going to do? So even in this indictment, you see the sort of reticence of Yusil uh, Tavares to go along with this plot to try to destroy this surveillance footage. And now he is officially someone who is cooperating with prosecutors, again, to avoid charges in this case, Phil. Yeah, it was clearly something the prosecutors had been looking for. Uh, now they have it. Sarah Murray, great reporting as always. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, let's talk a lot more about this and many more new legal issues facing the president. Senior legal analyst, former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, Ellie Honig, is with us at the table. Also joining us, David Schoen. He was one of the attorneys who represented Trump during, excuse me, his second impeachment trial. Great to have you both here. Ellie, let me just begin with you on the significance of Yusil uh, Tavares cooperating here. Yeah, it's a good win for prosecutors. Uh, he was the person identified in the indictment as Trump employee four. Mm -hmm. um, it's clear that some of the information in the indictment, some of the allegations are based on testimony that they got from him. But important to know, Mr. Tavares, employee four, he didn't have direct, he did not have direct contact with Donald Trump. He had right. direct contact with the Oliveira. Now that's still useful for prosecutors, mm -hmm. but Tavares is not going to be able to say, Donald Trump told me to do this. He's going to say, this other guy told me that Trump wanted me to do this. Still useful for prosecutors, but not necessarily game over. Yeah. Okay. David, you know, we often hear people say, I, sorry, I can't answer questions. I can't talk. Advice of counsel. Or I'm not going to testify, right, because of counsel. That is not apparently the case with Donald Trump, who told Hugh Hewitt that, uh, that he, he would um, testify. I just want people to listen to this sound. So if you have to go to trial, will you testify in your own defense? Oh, yes, absolutely. You'll so take the stand. That I, would, that I look forward to. Not only would he, he would look forward to it. Is that something that you would recommend in any of these pending cases? <laughs> well, listen, I think in my view, it's always the client's decision. I think the law recognizes that also. And whenever someone's life or freedom is at stake, mm -hmm. I think uh, it's very important for that person to make the decision. Donald Trump has wanted to testify before. He wanted to testify in the Gene Carroll case 
lawyers have counseled him otherwise. It's prudent uh, advice for any defendant generally. But I think Donald Trump uh, believes he's a great communicator. He's proven to be a great communicator. And so uh, I would expect him to testify. You would expect? Okay. You would expect him to testify. I really want to get into now uh, what I am fascinated by, and that is this argument over the 14th Amendment and whether it means that former President Trump is disqualified from even being on the ballot in states to run for president. Uh, the Secretary of State uh, of Georgia, Brad Raffensperger, wrote a really interesting and compelling op-ed in the Wall Street Journal about this. The headline is, I can't keep Trump off the ballot. And, David, he went into his legal rationale and reasoning why. The best line, by the way, is at the end, where he quotes country music singer Luke Bryan, fellow Georgian, who says, quote, most people are good. And then he says, most of the time, they will get it right. Trust the voters. Do you think he's right on the law there? I think he's right, number one, on policy. By the way, the next line is, most mamas qualify for sainthood. That's the best line of the song. <laughs> um, I concur, but, David. But, but um, I think he's right as a matter of policy, fundamentally. I don't know that he would hold himself out as a legal scholar. There are terrific arguments on both sides of this question. The two professors who wrote the University of Pennsylvania yep. Law Review article spent a lot of time and thought going into this. They recognized there are problems with their argument. They dismissed those problems. Ultimately, I agree with those who oppose their point of view legally. I think there are many reasons why this 14th Amendment doesn't apply to the president. First of all, I think that Article 2, Section 1 sets out the qualifications for president. Those are exclusive. I think the text of the language supports that argument. I think they had an opportunity to charge under 2383 insurrection. They didn't do that. I think this would render the second impeachment trial a nullity. I think their interpretation is subject to great abuse. They talked about indirect support qualifying to dis uh, disqualify someone. They. Um, they uh, have consider broad, a broad range of conduct. I don't think that was what was intended. Mm -hmm. There are a number of other arguments, legal arguments against it. So it's a serious argument. Yep. Um, I'm afraid also when we see different states taking different positions on a presidential election, that in itself is problematic, as the law has recognized. So, Ellie, the text that David is pointing to here, and this could very likely go up all the way up to the Supreme Court. They'll have to interpret the Constitution as they read it. Right. How do you read it? I'm not buying this 14th Amendment argument. I think this is what happens when law, law professors go crazy. Uh, you think not, this is crazy? I do, I do, and here's why. There is no enforcement mechanism. The Constitution tells us nothing about how this works. Who gets to make this incredibly grave decision? Was a former official well, Their argument is it's not even a question because they argue it's clearly laid out. Right, but that's a, that's a ridiculous argument. They're saying, OK, we're just going to have individual secretaries of state unilaterally deciding, yes, in my view, even though Donald Trump's never been charged with insurrection, I think he did commit insurrection. Therefore, he's off the ballot, and the American voters can't choose for or against him. That is anti-democratic. And that is also a made-up process. That's not in the Constitution. That's not in any law. Congress has had 150 years. They haven't passed the law. Mm -hmm. The problem with this whole provision is nobody's told us how it works. You can't make it up now and apply it three years in the past, because you know what that would violate? A different portion of the 14th Amendment due process. I'm not buying this argument. I think it's creative. Yeah, I give him credit for creativity. Ellie, Doesn't Ellie's, work. Ellie's, Ellie's position is supported by an 1869 case, Griffin's case. The law review writers uh, address that. They just say, well, it was wrongly decided. Justice Chase, Supreme Court justice, sat on that case, and he made clear there has to be some mechanism. Congress has to act. It's not self-executing. Can I ask you finally, David, about something that we're watching, and that is John Eastman, um, who's here, one of the co-defendants is talking. He went on Laura Ingram. He spoke with her last week. He's still 
uh, making claims that are unfounded, like Pence could have, you know, certified uh, the election in a different way. He could have paused the certification of Biden's win, et cetera. Eastman's attorney was on CNN with Caitlin Collins last night, and she asked him about the strategy of Eastman doing these interviews. I want you to listen to this exchange. Are you worried mm -hmm. that those comments could be used by prosecutors against, against your client? Have you advised him not to speak publicly? We made a decision a long time ago in this case. Our view is Dr. Eastman is innocent. He has nothing to hide. He's clearly innocent. He was, and we've made the decision that risky though it certainly may be to be as open as we can with uh, journalists such as yourself and with um, anyone who wants to talk to us. For the most part, we're happy to talk to them. So it is potentially risky for him to be speaking publicly, you think? Oh, sure. It was a really interesting exchange. That attorney in particular of Eastman's is quite candid um, on these issues. David, I just, I wonder what you think. You said it's always up to the client. It's always up to the client, whether I was specifically to testify in uh, the trial against that person. But, uh, but I do believe that's up to the client. Here, though, there's a big difference between has maintained his innocence and he has nothing to hide and speaking voluntarily and publicly on the facts of this case. It's his right. Um, I believe in transparency. But, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Caitlin Collins, and she made a very strong point about it. Yeah. I don't think Ellie Honig would let his client speak like <laughs> that, and I think he's a wise... Uh, Wise lawyer. I do all I could to stop it. We are all big fans of Caitlin Collins on this program. You're exactly right. I appreciate the debate, the discussion. David, Ellie, thanks very much. Thank you.